Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours. Um, this episode is brought to you, sponsored by WeAreDapperTies.com. Uh, if you need a tie, which oftentimes people do, they have a huge selection, different patterns, different fabrics. Go on WeAreDapperTies.com. Uh, pick out a tie or two or three that you want. Um, at checkout, enter promo code TRUTH, and you will get free shipping. I'll save yourself five bucks uh, anywhere in the continental United States. WeAreDapperTized.com. Uh, so big thanks to them for uh, uh, sponsoring uh, this show. Um, uh, on this episode, I spoke with Marissa Companion. Uh, Marissa is someone who is part of the Wrong Brain Collective. Uh, uh, Marissa is, uh, she has an art studio in the Wrong Brain HQ in Dover, um, where I used to have my art studio, um, but we did not have, uh, we weren't in there at the same time she's there now. She came in a couple months after I left, but, um, Marissa was someone that I only knew, um, first through, through, um, Instagram and Facebook a little bit. Um, uh, so it was cool to sit down and have a long form conversation with her. We touched on, uh, sexuality, compartmentalization and, uh, you know, uh, uh, compartmentalizing, uh, people. Uh, it was a really great conversation. We also talked about music a lot. Uh, yeah. So take a listen. Hope you enjoy. set of questions however and I don't ask everyone this but um, I'm, and this made me happy when I first started noticing you doing this like I don't know I don't know how long ago we met maybe nine months ago probably but you post a lot of what you're listening to yeah music, I do which I do that as well and I've had friends be like why are you posting that I'm like yeah it's what I'm listening to they're like well who cares I'm like well clearly you don't but so I enjoy it when I yeah I, and I like to see what especially other creative people mm-hmm. So a question that I've asked several times, and I'll ask it now, but because it, it, it you, you might have to think about it, and then at the end we'll revisit it okay. if you want, which is your three favorite concerts you've ever been to. Uh, oh, that's... It's tough. That's tough, but it's also easy. Yeah. Um, because the first one that comes to mind is I saw Radiohead. Um, yeah. I saw them play right after they put out amnesiac okay. in 2001 is it the one after kid a yes okay. so it was the yeah exactly and it was so amazing it was at uh suffolk downs and mm. it, they were still doing the type of concerts where they weren't seated so it was all outside and they had beautiful lighting yeah. and we had gotten there at noon because yeah. i was an obsessive radiohead fan when i was seven what time did the show start the show started i think at six <laughs> <laughs> but i was such a huge fan and i wanted to be in the inner circle yeah. which was there was a certain section that if you got into the inner circle to stand you didn't have to um you know you did once you were in there 
you didn't, you basically could stay there, but they wouldn't let anybody else in there after a certain point. So I wanted to make sure we got into that space so that I could be as close as possible to the van. And it was just, it was really magical. Tom York did an incredible, incredible job. And he was just so passionate. And it was just, it was one of those moments that just was everything synced up. Like one of my friends let me stay on their shoulders. So I felt like I was right there with the band. And and plus I was 17. So I was in, you know, in high school and it was like this moment of everything coming together. Yeah. Um, But then I, I ended up seeing them maybe in during the in rainbows tour and it was not, it wasn't as good. It just didn't have that same vibe. But that first one, was really good. I have a weird like I like Radiohead, but I kind of like I and I and I think Amnesiac was sort of like the cutoff for me as far as like loving the albums as a mm-hmm. whole. As far as like and I've heard there you know in Rainbows and then uh yep. uh what was the King of Limbs and then yep. Moon Shaped Pool. Mm-hmm. And I like all of them, but to me, those are more about the sounds than the songs, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like they, they is there someone here? There may be. Maybe. Huh. Uh, um, or it's a rat. <laughs> have, Who knows? You're in, the, you're in the far corner. I'm in the corner. Right? Or it's a ghost, you know. Have you, have you heard, <laughs> uh, like, what time of day do you like to work here? I usually come here... Um, well, it all depends. I tr- my goal on the weekends is to come here earlier. Like mm-hmm. I try to be here by ten on the weekends. Unfortunately, this time of year, my photography business starts to take over, so I don't get to come here as often. So it's whenever I have a few what? minutes to is it, come. Is it your own photography business? Yeah. So it's not really, unfortunately. I mean, that's great that you. No, it is great. Yeah. I love my business. It's just I I don't get to paint as much so that makes me sad sure but yes i love my business it's it's great it's fun and i do weddings and um portraits and other things so you hear that right yeah there's probably is sammy in her studio maybe hey sam is there somebody here no well, no, be... it's the ghost of the mills. God. Um, so I used to have the space right next to yours. Oh, okay. Um, yep. And, and I think I talked to Shelby about this when we were talking because when we were recording, there was noise upstairs. But so upstairs used to be vacant. Yeah. And there was random like uh, like utility carts and stuff like that and tons and tons of chairs over there. And I was here... I. I was doing an album cover for a band, and it was it was the biggest painting I had ever worked on. It's still the biggest painting I've done to this date. It was probably four feet by five feet. Oh wow! Was like, nice. I don't normally work that big, but I tried it twice on it's smaller fun, canvases, though. and I just couldn't get the scope of what, what you I was wanted. trying to do. Yeah. I'm also really bad at like space management on. Yeah, I get like, that. But I, I I've gotten better at it as far as like mapping it out. Before. But anyway, it was like. Three in the morning, two thirty, three in the morning, and there's all sorts of noise happening upstairs. Footsteps, you know, wow. chairs being dragged around. So finally, and but it's a big mill building, and kids get in here all the time. And I was that's like, true. You know, 
So finally, I went upstairs to yell at whoever was making noise because yeah. I could not concentrate. And there's no one up there. Yeah. And and I don't care if people listening to this believe me or not because you know if you've experienced supernatural stuff. Mm-hmm. But I went into the center of the room and I said, "Is there somebody up here?" And from both in front of me yeah. and behind me, 10, 12 voices <gasps> all said yes. Wow. Just all together, like Ooh, kids, that just men, gave me women. Chills. That gave me chills. I didn't chills. see anyone, Ooh, but it was one of those scary. things. I, sorry. <laughs> I guess it's good that we're doing it in the daytime. It's good. But and then I just said, well, can you keep it down? I'm trying to do work because I was just like. Did they answer to that? No, they didn't. No. And, no more noise. Wow. So, and it's funny because I've never audibly interacted with with the spirit with, with some sort of energy before. I've seen stuff before. I used to live in an old uh, ghost town in Arizona, so I've seen stuff before. So it I've wasn't seen like, stuff before too. It wasn't like I wasn't like oh my god. It, but it was the first time I had, I had interacted with it audibly. That's really interesting. And it was just one of those. And you know, I've had a couple of people who've had experiences like bullshit i'm like i'm not trying to impress you i'm just letting you know you're just telling happened. you're just telling your truth yeah and yeah. and they can believe it or not i mean it's up to them i've definitely had moments here where things not in this not in the wrong brain um space here mm-hmm. per se like sometimes i in the beginning when i was starting to paint i would feel so, like a presence here sure. but it wasn't like a negative presence so it was it was very like warm and fuzzy so yeah. i was okay with it yeah um, but when they used to have the bathrooms across before they, they closed that down to yeah. renovate, um, I used to get really bad energy in there. Like, I don't know what it was, I did but too. I, it freaked me out. I yeah. didn't want anything to do with those bathrooms. Yeah. So I'm glad we're going to the other bathrooms now. Yeah. I don't uh, want anything to do with it. I do think, I mean, cause there's definitely an energy here and you know. Maybe it's Cody whose picture's hanging over. Maybe the door it's a there. positive yeah. one though. It feels yeah, very sure. warm. It doesn't feel as creepy. Once in a while, it feels creepy, and it's just—it's very, very subtle. And it's usually around Shelby's studio. That's mm. where I feel it. Interesting. And Interesting. my dog does too. She every time she'll she'll walk past it and she'll like give it like a glare or like start growling. Yeah. And then lay down. Huh. She doesn't like her studio either. There's something in that I'm area. If I ever. No, I have brought my dog here, but my dog, my dog is deaf, so her oh. her sense of things can be off. But then sometimes she picks up on stuff that other dogs don't because her other senses have to be stronger. Exactly. So um, that's interesting. Um, yeah, my dog. Yeah, she doesn't like. There's something in here she doesn't like, and I don't. I don't know what it is. But hmm. <laughs> let's not tell Shelby like, unless she listens. <laughs> unless to this. she listens to this. But when well, it was Shelby's birthday yesterday, oh, and, and it's Sam's birthday today. I know we're yeah. going bowling. I I saw that. Yeah, um, I, I'm not going to be able to go only oh, because no. I'm I work until eleven. Well, I can't kick your so, ass then. I guess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you could easily kick my ass. I'm not a good bowler. Oh, but. I love bowling. I'm super. I, like super I really like it. But I'm terrible at it. And same thing with pool. So really, yeah. I suck at pool though. Really? Yeah, I'm not. I like playing it, but I'm terrible. Um, bowling, I actually have a chance to you win. Got some skill. Yeah, because my father's Sicilian, and he's really into bowling and yeah. really into competition and winning, and you know all that type of Italian gangsters. Right. <laughs> is bowling a big thing? It is. Well, for my dad, well, bocce ball is, but right. it's kind of. 
doing games with the family, like cards, um, board games, like spending that time together, like sitting down and doing stuff and being really loud mm. is like a huge part of Italian sure. culture. See, or at least Sicilian culture. Anyway. Sure, sure. Um, is Now, is he from Sicily? No, he's not. But His from parents dis- descent. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because we always played games growing up. And I mean, I'm, I'm French and Scottish. Uh, but I have no, like as an adult, I have no joy in playing card games specifically because we had to be quiet. Like you couldn't talk. Wow. Uh, really? My father was, my, my, my father's very competitive and was very focused on, like uh-huh. he doesn't trash talk. He's just very focused on stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't about fun. It was about winning. So yeah, that the whole, like, like I'm not a competitive person at all as a result of that. Really? Like I, hate watching sports stuff like that i mean because my father was very into sports too growing up Mm. but so i sort of like envy people who love you know doing game stuff uh i'm competitive about things that i know i can win at mm -hmm. if i don't think i can win it all of a sudden i pretend i'm i don't care about competition just because i like know i don't have a chance so all of a sudden i'll just be like yeah whatever i don't give a shit about it yeah but like it's it's just like a way to deal with the fact that I suck at whatever sure. I'm playing. Sure. I was always really bad at team sports as a kid, like so bad to the point where I would just be standing there daydreaming and my parents were like, why is she in soccer? Like, yeah. why did we, like, she doesn't do anything. She's just standing there. And yeah. I was like six or seven. The one time I did something in, in my team is I scored in the wrong goal. Like that was the one time. And my parents were like, <laughs> We really don't know if this is the right avenue for yeah. you. And that's when I got more involved with dance and, and um, uh, art and all that type yeah. of stuff. Because I just, I was never really good with team sports because I just didn't care. I right. was I was like, that. so in that respect, I was never competitive. I probably could have been good at it. I just didn't want to. Yeah. I was like, why do I, why? Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I was never good at sports. Um, and... Because I played soccer as a kid as well. Mm -hmm. Because it was one of those things that with baseball, at least, you know, once every couple innings, you had to go up to bat. And it was focused solely on one person. Yeah. You know, even if it's for, you know, for for three pitches. And I was an incredibly insecure, self-conscious kid. So I didn't like that. I didn't like that. So with soccer, you're amongst... Was it nine, ten kids on the field? So they don't just focus on they you. They just, yeah. And it's easy to kind of disappear. Like, if you don't want to be near where the action is, you kind of move away from the ball. So, you know, I, I just sort of coasted my way through a couple years of, you know, like junior soccer. That's so funny. Because yeah. I, think, I think part of the reason I didn't like the team sports was because I wasn't the center of attention. So it was like the opposite because the only time I ever got competitive in the sport was I did track and field when I was in middle school and I was really good at it. And I liked it because it was just on my own. I did it myself. I didn't have to worry about having to work with the team, which some reason always stressed me out. Hmm. So, um, yeah, and then I was fine. So I guess I'm a little bit of attention whore. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Not, nothing necessarily wrong with that, though. It's I think that's being though. an artist, though. Well, it's funny because, like, 
two total opposite ways of looking at it, but we were both drawn to art right. in different ways. So exactly. Like, so when did you, like, do you remember, like, when you first started, like, creating? Like, how old were you? Um, I was, like, four. Uh, my mother was always really creative. My mom's a really good, uh, very talented at watercolors. So mm -hmm. she would always try to get me to do watercolors, and I hated them because I couldn't really get the colors as vibrant as I wanted to. Yep, for sure. and, and I remember thinking that at age three and four, like I might even start at three, like I was very young painting and um, I just would get really frustrated with it. But I, but I loved it at the same time. So I, I would just more often than not, I drew in, instead of doing watercolors because yeah. I thought that was it. I didn't know that there was other types of paint because that's all my mom So you had. just assumed this is paint. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. this is paint. I was like, oh man, yeah. this isn't what I want to do. But I like, at the same time, I loved it. I just, I thought, you know, I wanted it to be like the paintings I saw at the museums because my sure. parents always took me to museums all the time when I was a kid. So like we went to um, the National Gallery um, and it's, Right? Isn't that the one that's in Washington, D.C.? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we went there. Um, or Did is you... it the Smithsonian? I, can't, well, I think we it's... went to both. The, it, it is part of the Smithsonian because right. way back when the Smithsonian was all one museum. Okay, then and, it might have been just the Smithsonian. And a lot of then. people, particularly like of our parents' generations, still refer to it as the Smithsonian, okay. even though, even though, like, there's like six museums that are all Smithsonian right. museums, uh, but yeah, they had one. Did you did you live down there? Or did you? Take no, a trip? my parents lived there um, for a while, and they we would go on like vacation there. So we went on vacation. Where they live in Maryland? No, they lived in Richmond, Virginia. Oh, okay. But um, they were just familiar with that whole area, so we would go. And my mom loved art, and then we'd go to the um, Museum of Fine Arts in Boston all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, my mom was always exposing me to art. Like, she had paintings everywhere in the house. Um, she was really into it because she also sewed all her own clothes growing up. Yeah. So she had her own creative voice, and she would make our clothes when we were kids. So That's cool. Yeah, so I came from pretty creative background as far as that. Yeah. yeah. Is your dad creative? He is. He's more on the math side. He, My dad got me really into film. Mm -hmm. Like, he was really into Stanley Kubrick and um, Alfred Hitchcock. So I was watching those films in, like, at, like, age, like, 10 and 11. So I was, yeah, like, yeah. watching these really vulgar films at a young age. and I, But I loved them because yeah. of the color and the, the sets. So I actually started getting more into film and photography before... Well, I don't know. It was kind of all the kind same. Kind of all the same. It was it all, all the same. Kind of, well, I think also when you're a kid, the, there aren't as many hard lines between this is this and this is right. this. It's all just You just like stuff what you, you like. Do. Yeah. yeah. And then we're sort of, as we're, as we become older, we're sort of expected to put stuff in particular right. columns and, uh, which is, it's like segregate the different types of art forms. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it and it's funny because I know plenty of artists who who, you know, because I think our culture kind of conditions us to do that, but so many artists like 
nope, this is what I do. This, you know, and right. When people kind of branch out and do multiple things, it kind of rubs people the wrong way. I mean, not everyone. It, yeah, I think it depends on the school of thought, like in the city. I think definitely on the East Coast, it's more like that. Mm. Um, on the West Coast, it's not. Like yeah. people are very open to different types of mediums and different styles working together because it's it's all about like people trying new things, being trying to break free from wherever we're at right now in art and culture. At least that was my experience at CalArts um, and my experience when I lived in LA. Like it was just really different than here. Like performance, painting, everything was just one. It was like, how can you reach the viewer? It doesn't matter how you do it, what your medium is. It's how you're going to implement change mm -hmm. in in the country. How are you going to get people to um, see things in a way that you want the world to see? Mm -hmm. uh, it was less about like, okay, well, I chose this material. Now I'm going to make art about it. It was more the idea and less about the medium sure so sure. which to me i loved i yeah. was like all about that i'm like oh yeah that's where i'm at yeah so well i i mean for me i mean that makes sense because it took me a while to realize that um art for me is basically my way of connecting with other people like, right and it's also kind of like okay this is how the world looks to me and i'm presenting it to you so it can be through art, through music, through whatever. Like, it right. doesn't really matter. It doesn't and, matter. And that's what I think, like, most most art tries to achieve is it's, this is a connection, you know, to the artist. They're, they're expressing themselves to you, and hopefully, you know, it connects with some people, so. Well, and the, the, the cool thing about it is, like, the, the connection that you have or whatever the message is that you're trying to send, it transcends that because it becomes about what the viewer's looking at. It mm -hmm. becomes how they're interpreting that because it's no longer your say. Right. They get to say how they feel about it, which then in return affects how um, people view things and mm -hmm. how they think about the world, yeah. right? I mean, I always think about how much self-image has changed even in the last five years because of all the different types of art and um, ways that the media has been trying to show women as being all different sizes and men, not as much, but they're, I, th I feel like they're trying, mm -hmm. but I think like the fact that they're doing that and saying like to love yourself and all these things like that makes huge change. And, and that was something that a lot of artists had been doing for a long time. And now it's finally like breaking into mainstream media and like you see it on social you know on instagram and facebook and all these other things of people trying to promote these types of ideas and that was all stemmed from you know feminist ideals yeah so i think this it's like that kind of stuff is so important like if you can start a conversation in your work that even though it comes from a personal place it can like I said, it can transcend and become more than that and affect people on a really, like, on a global scale. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was, um, it's funny, I think about when we were talking before I started recording and you were, you know, asking me how to find the podcast and I said, make sure you put the podcast at the end of this yeah. and truth tell me or it's because you'll get this uh, album by the Manic Street Preachers, but they have, they have another album called The Holy Bible and... 
it's a the cover art is a triptych of paintings and it's um uh it's 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 a it's an obese woman, and I I, I hate using that word because there's so yeah. much. I don't know. I feel like negativity attached. The semantics of the word are kind of dangerous yeah. because there's yeah there's all these implications of what that means. Yeah, and and you know for those listening who don't know me, I you know I am a heavy set person as well, and it's always like, especially when people, a lot of times will throw, you know, the word morbidly is usually attached right. to it. Um, but anyway, there was it, it's her face on and then her to the left and her to the right, and she's just in her underwear. But it's not it's not done for comic effect. It's you yeah, know, um, it, it's a they're beautiful paintings. But it was the first time that I remembered seeing because the album's maybe twenty two, twenty three years mm-hmm. old now. It's the first time I remember seeing. Uh, a woman that wasn't tiny that right. was being depicted in a positive light. Right, and it wasn't used as, I mean, I, I mean, some people might argue that maybe she was being sexualized, but I was just like, um, there wasn't, there didn't seem to be any shame attached to it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very interesting. So, but mm-hmm. it, I mean, they're a, they're a Welsh band, you know, and hmm. Europe to me has seemed to have had, healthier conversations about body image and you know i mean not well in sex too i mean like especially in countries like france Mm -hmm. where it's like (laughs) right it's like basically having a cup of coffee like it's like a part of the culture so much so that that people are like oh yeah that's cool you know nice i'm glad you guys got to do that today right Right. yeah yeah it's like oh oh, we had a nice meal there's no there's less shame attached to it i mean like with here there's there's so much of that. There's so... I don't even know how to go into that conversation. There, but. There is, and it's... Uh, I mean, I feel like in my lifetime, there have been huge oh, yeah. strides. But I think it's going to be... It's still going to take decades and decades. You know, we are starting to break down some of the shame... Yeah, associated absolutely. with, you know, sexuality. I mean, the fact that we, that uh, LGBTQIA people are able to be who they are now. I yeah. mean, that's incredible in comparison to how I remember it when I was like in the 90s. Like sure. it was really not, it was not comfortable. I mean, I know people could come out, but it wasn't the way it is now. It's much easier. Not that it's easy. It's still very hard. Yeah. But I think that it's it's not what it was it's it's made lots of leaps and bounds and i think art once again like you see these different types of things being depicted in the art world it starts to transcend and go into media and other forms and it becomes like oh it's okay to depict this it's okay to see two women holding hands or two men kissing like this is okay like there's nothing shameful about it sure well, it was uh, so I, I do I do another podcast where I do. Uh, oh, there is someone here, but she's got headphones on. <laughs> um, uh, I do another podcast where I do movie reviews, and I was talking about just how because I saw that movie, Call Me by Your Name. Oh, I haven't um, seen that it's, yet. It's fantastic, but you know when I did the review, I remarked that just in my in the last ten years of movie going. Because I remember what a big deal um, 
Brokeback Mountain was when that came out. Oh yeah, I do and, too. And and as far as sexuality depicted on screen, it's it's very chaste compared to so much that's come out in the last decade. Yeah. But it was very much like, oh, it's that gay movie. And uh Right. And just how far we've come in ten years, um, because and and I don't think Call Me by Your Name is a particularly graphic film, but mm-hmm. there you know well, it normalizes it because it, it says, hey, this is romance. It doesn't need to be the, like, it's not just like, oh, you're gay. Now it's the sexualized thing. Like, right. it's it can be romantic. Yeah. I mean, people love the way they want to love. And I think that's the power of that. Whereas Brobeck Mountain, I think people get so hung up on the fact that there was, like, sexual components in it. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, that is a component in relationships sometimes. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. It was like, also, like you said, it was a different time. And now I think people are way more open to this and they're just like, well, that's just how they choose to love. And it was also with Brokeback Mountain. And, and I, I, I did think it was a, I do think it's a, you know, an excellent film, but you know, there's, there's, have you, have you seen Brokeback Mountain? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's real, heartbreak in it there is you yeah know, um you know there's sort of you know and it is time you know time that it takes place but um it's beautifully shot too the, the yeah, lighting I mean, and the, it's kind of knows what he's doing when yeah, he makes movies for but sure. um you know one of the guys dies sorry spoiler alert but if you haven't seen brokeback mountain <laughs> yeah, long, you know. yeah. <laughs> but and one of the things that i liked about it was you know or about uh call me by your name is that there was no well, this is the consequence of being gay. It's, right. There, There's it's, no, this like... This is part of life. Right. It was no, like, all of a sudden, here, now you're going to have to pay the... Re- yeah, the it, wasn't, it wasn't a parable. It. it wasn't a fable. Right. It was Wait. just a real-life story, and That's I just... That's awesome. I need to see this. It's, it's really good. And then I just... That. I saw uh, Love, Simon yesterday, I haven't too. seen that either yet. Just came out this weekend, but it was... Uh, it was great, and I, and I didn't even realize it until I did reading about it afterwards, but it's the first teen movie where the protagonist is gay i mean it's about him coming oh, yeah, out yeah i but, saw that but yeah. it's also very like you know being a 42 year old man i wasn't like okay well i'm seeing this gay movie it was it was just a movie right uh, which is fantastic that is fantastic. you know uh, and to and just reflecting on that i'm like it's amazing how much has changed since i was in high school 20 something years ago because i mean yeah. the thing that you know, the thing that high school guys were most afraid of in the 90s was someone was going to think you were gay. Right. And now, who gives a shit? Right. If you're gay, awesome, you know? Yeah. You know, if you're transgender, do your thing. Well, I remember people calling me lesbian in middle school and being like, oh my God, how can they say that? Right. Why would they say that? And like being like ashamed about it. And I'm like, well... And I knew I wasn't a lesbian, but I knew I liked, thought women were attractive. And I, I went through a period in high school where I'm like, I, I, I know I'm bisexual, but I don't really know how to handle this. So yeah. I just kind of talked about it, but I didn't really talk about it because it just, to me, it it felt like weird to bring it up at, at the time. But now it's like, like no one, like sure. now I feel like I can say it and it's not as big of a deal but yeah definitely there was a lot of like oh my god why did they say you know 
they're really like that was an insult and to me that's or, or at least that's how they saw it is like they were insulting me by calling me a lesbian and yeah. it's like wow that's really awful that people did that to others yeah well it's the you know what we were talking about earlier about culturally particularly in this culture we seem to need to put stuff in columns and rows and right you know, yeah um, you're this, you're that, you're a painter, you're an illustrator, you're, yeah. But, and I, and I think a lot of that is just because in our minds, um, we have, okay, this is how I feel about this box. This is how I feel about yeah. this. So if you fall into this, it, I mean, it's like a comfort zone. It's oh, like yeah. a philosophical, like philosophical. No, it's a, a psychological comfort zone of kind of deciding, well, this person I know is this, so I'm going to think this about that. And the thing that's really unfair about that, and it's the same thing with art too. Oh, you did a painting? I don't like paintings. Oh, you did a, photo- a photograph? I don't like photos. The, it doesn't, you're cutting off the ability to have access. You're saying, I don't want to enter. I don't want to be open. And yeah. I don't want to know what you have to really say. And that's really unfortunate. And it, it shuts down that whole conversation so i think it's we have to almost like train ourselves to not do that and to say okay this is what i'm thinking right now but i'm gonna just like put it away i'm like put it in like a little side box and try to be as open as possible yeah because otherwise if you just go with that you're gonna miss so many things you know one of the things that i've tried to force myself to do in the last couple of years was whenever I have like a knee-jerk reaction to anything, if Mm -hmm. I have a strong emotional reaction before I act or even speak on it, really kind of examine why, why do I feel that way? And is it, is it a justified thing? Well, it's, it's hard to do, but I also look at it as like, you know, I'm, you know, middle-class white heterosexual male, like, so you're you know, thinking about like where you're coming from. Right. And also I yeah. recognize that I've grown up in a place of privilege my entire life. And also, right. I mean, just looking at the, you know, the, you know, the, the Me Too movement. And I hate to even say movement because it's not a movement. It's shit that's always been going on. It's, it's just it's finally, always been going on. Uh, <laughs> and, and so much of it is because of you know white men and grant it's not all white men doing no. it it's not all men doing no. it but uh i i just recognize that the culture that i was brought up in and how i was brought up to be a man is fucked up yeah and so anything that i'm like well this is in my mind if i hear the well well that's that's how that is or that's how I feel about that. I'm like, well, okay, take a look at it. Is it really that way or not? I mean, a huge kind of learning thing for me was, um, and this is this is something that was interesting looking at it after the fact because of my age, because this was only, this was in the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very close friend of mine who I've known for years uh, come out to me. Well, he didn't even come out to me. He had been out for a while, but he lives he lives in Georgia, so I don't see him all that yeah. often. And it was through a conversation. He's like, "Well, I don't know if I told you this or not," but and I could tell that he was a little bit anxious about it. 
Um, and I was like, cool, man, you know, whatever. But it was one of those things that, and it, I'd had plenty of gay friends at that point. But at that point, I realized all my gay friends, they were already out when I met them. So yeah. in my mind, I had compartmentalized them. I'm like, okay, that's Steve, my gay friend. That's, you know, um, Melissa, my yeah. gay friend. And I was like, well, this is my buddy, Rob. And now Rob's gay. And I'm like, okay, does that change anything? No. Right. Does it? Right. And I'm like, nor should it. Right. I was like, you know, because it wasn't like, I didn't have a panic. Um, I mean, we've known each other since <laughs> we were kids. But it was one of those yeah. things that like, I was like, okay, it's weird that I've at 37, 38, whenever it happened, that this is the first time in my life that I had had this happen. And I was like, huh. I was like. It's interesting that I'm thinking about it this much, but I was like, okay. Because in my mind, I was like, okay, now I have to move him over to this compartment. I'm like, well, why? Why, why do you is have there a compartment, compartment? Yeah. to begin with? Right. And that was, and that was really where I started to mm-hmm. think to myself, oh, you do put people in, the, you know, and not in terms of just sexuality, but you know, you know, artist, professional, rich, poor, right. thin, fat, whatever. Right. And I was like, okay, well, that's. Not, I, like, I didn't feel good about that. And, I, and that's where I was like, all right, I need to start, you know, opening myself up and kind of knocking that shit out when, right. when I catch myself doing it. So, yeah. And I think it's one of those things that people, like I said, I think we all kind of do that. And it's the way we, we, we interpret information visually is part of that, you know, Mm -hmm. like we see certain things and we're like, okay, well he has this shirt on that's, you know, a type of plaid type shirt. And I'm like, uh, there may be a part of my brain in the subconsciously that's like a lumberjack, you know, or, you know what I mean? It's just like, even if it's that dumb, like, it's like, that's what's going on. And that's, what's so powerful about art is you have to like, you have to take into consideration how your images are being read, um, and how people can interpret them because you have a responsibility to um, make sure that you're conveying what you really want to say and not something else. Because that happens a lot where we think we're conveying something, but then we're actually saying the opposite or, you know, whatever. So it's, it is really important to really think about how things can be read and hope and we can hope that most people are going to be open-minded, but we also have to take into consideration that not everyone will be. So right. we have to think about that. Yeah. It's important. Um, there's a responsibility as an artist, what we put out in the world. I, I believe there's a responsibility. That's interesting. I, I, Cause I've heard that perspective from some artists. And then I've heard some artists say, it's not my responsibility to have interpret people interpret it. No, it's a responsibility because we we have one of the hardest jobs, and, and I think as far as like trying to shape culture, trying to change the way things are. Yeah. And I think if you're putting out certain things that are just reiterating negative aspects of the way people behave or the way people think about things and it's not challenging anything or it's just promoting um sexism or something that's then i think that you you have to like consider that as like a you know what is is that what you're wanting to say or you know 
or maybe the only way to say it is through an image that is a sexist image, but at the same time, how are you going to get people to know that that's what it's about and not just another image that's like a Playboy image or something? Sure. You know, and I think it's it's stuff that's really important to to think about because I use a lot of I use nudity in, yeah. in my paintings and pictures of myself, but the thing is, is I'm painting myself, right? And it, it's different, I think. Um, not that I don't think I wouldn't be able to paint someone else nude, but I think there has to be like a permission involved and there has to be um, a way where it, in which you show them as a strong character sure. and not someone that's weak. And if you were to show them as someone that's weak, then what, what would be your intention? Like, is there a, a philosophical meaning behind it? Is there like something else? Yeah. And if there is, maybe there needs to be writing with it so that people can get to that place and they're not somewhere else. And that's totally fine. I actually think a lot of art pieces should have more writing attached yeah. to them because I think sometimes it is harder for people to get to those places, especially if they don't have certain uh, schools of thought in their artistic pack. Uh, artistic background like they didn't study that then they do need that there's a lot of artists that don't agree with that they're like yeah. there shouldn't be writing people should be able to get to it right there and i'm sorry but that's fucking bullshit because yeah. not everybody is going to be as privileged to have that preset of information and the only way we can get everyone to feel welcome and involved and not like outside of the joke so to speak like the inside joke or the yeah. inside art voice is for them to have access and what better way to do it, but then to have like writing attached to what you're doing, Yeah. which is why I think when Sam does her, um, her, the magazine or the, the zines. zines, then I think that's really, that that's great. Yeah. Cause it gives you that language with what she's trying to convey or they are trying to convey. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Personally. I did. Um, I'm doing this series this month uh, where I'm doing like pencil sketches of um, like people that have inspired me who, who, mm -hmm. who have died. And um, I don't normally, when I do them, like, you know, I, I do like a post daily on. Yeah, Instagram I've seen all your stuff, your uh, stuff on there. But uh, I did, so I did a portrait of Shannon Hoon, the singer from Blind Melon yep. yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I did include some, some, text with it which i don't normally nice. do but it was one of those things that <laughs> so first you're all, like i'm a do-gooder i put text in my well room. it was one of those things so the image that i used uh, was a very specific one and i was when i decided i was going to do him that day i knew the image i was going to do before i even found because i did google it um obviously i don't have you know readily available images of shannon Hoon, but yeah. um, so it was the day that Kurt Cobain's body was found. Um, right. Fly oh, Melon played right. on yeah. David Letterman. Right. And I just because I remember seeing it at the time, and then I have a they put out a home video, and they have that clip on the home video as well, and it's a very striking image where um, he just took a sharpie and put a question mark on his forehead, and um, before they played, or no, it was right when the song was over, he just said, you know, on behalf of a lot of people, I just want to say goodbye to him but i thought that was a really powerful kind of Tool. thing yeah not really there was no judgment it was just yeah. sort of a, but 
Well, he used his his um, ability to have his voice be heard yeah. for his own purpose and not just for like for a purpose that he used that time where he was able to be in the spotlight yeah. to say something that was important. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Because not everyone does that. Yeah. So when they have that, I mean, if you have the the privilege and the availability to do something and the access, it's pretty great when they actually use their voice to try to make change yeah, instead of sure. like just being like, Oh, whatever. I'm just going to go about my day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I did think it was, I wanted to sort of explain it because I didn't want anyone to see the image and think it was like comical or anything, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's, picture of a guy with a big question mark on his forehead but I, so I wanted to give some backstory to it but yeah I um uh, I don't do it all the time actually I don't do it hardly ever but I, it was one of those things so it was interesting that you know you were talking about explaining that I um it's interesting when you were talking about you know using using nudity in your art because uh, I often paint and draw uh nudes as well and it's it's always a Thing that I try and like it it's kind of like I'm always worried about misinterpretation for me because most of the time I'm, I'm drawing female nudes well you should be because you're a male in the male gaze and sure. it's been an ongoing battle I'm not saying there's anything wrong with right, that right. I'm just saying that is like a uh, an argument in the art world that's been going on since the it's, 70s right what's <laughs> I mean Man, uh, you know, <laughs> men have been drawing naked women since we've been putting pictures on caves. Yes. So, yeah. but it's one of those things that, so when I, uh, like I take my own reference photos mm-hmm. because it's very much, um, for me to be able to kind of, I even have a great image, but just have some sort of connection to what I'm drawing, which therein i don't know has have a truth to it it has to be someone that i have a connection with have sort of an understanding with um well see i don't i don't want to say that forever and ever till the end of time the male gaze looking at the female body is not shouldn't be done i don't i think that's stupid and that's just ridiculous because once again it goes to this shameful space of like Oh, sex is bad and all that stuff. So I guess it just, it's a tricky one because like part of me is, is like, yeah, totally. I think that there should be some of that. I think it just depends how it's done. And, and, and if it's empowering to the woman that you're, that you're painting or you're drawing and, and a lot of it is, is an admiration. And then there's also this, like, is it turning the woman to an object or is it showing them as a, as a strong person? I mean, it, it depends. I, it goes from piece to piece. Like you said, it's one of those things that's been since the end of time. But what's interesting is in the 80s, there was like a whole period of time post the feminist revolution in the 70s where there wasn't a lot of nude women paintings happening because all of a sudden they were like afraid to do that because of all the feminist stuff. So it went through a period of not much of that going on um, in the art world. I mean, you had like Jeff Koons doing all these funky you know, uh, stuff about 
celebrities and, right. and things like that commentary on that but just also kind of just quirky and pop art um but anyway so you have a lot of that kind of stuff happening in the 80s um and basquiat doing political stuff and like so it was like a weird mosh of what was going on yeah. and, and then you have these weird you know money-centric type work happening but anyway so it was like this short part, period of time but in some ways it's like the admirate like the naked nude women admiration type paintings are better than not having any women at all mm. where there was no women even being shown in the museums as being nude women it was just no women artists being right. recognized and no nude <laughs> so it was just like all male centric completely so i don't know if that's better either but i think it just needs to be more inclusive the art world needs to be more inclusive totally anyway yeah. i think that's just like the Gorilla Girls really tried to make that change and, you know, be like, hey, look at all these women artists that we're not even showing. All these, you know, people of minority, like minority groups of people not being shown, LGBT, like all these people not being shown that have really amazing things to do. So I don't think that the female nude body is like forever cannot be shown right. in, I, by a male gaze. Right. I just think it's how it's done sure. is, is what I'm saying. So, um, and we all know the type of guy, you know, or not that I'm trying to put, oh, I feel like I'm putting men into a box. I'm going to step back okay. <laughs> and think about that for a second. Um, so there's always, I feel like there's always going to be a situation where maybe the person's doing it and not the best way not the best intentions and maybe it's just for money or maybe it's just to admire um a woman's naked body which i don't think is wrong right. either but i just think it it's just because women's bodies are beautiful naked just like men's bodies are i think all bodies are really beautiful actually but i just i don't know what i'm trying to say <laughs> what i'm trying to say is i think as long as it's done in a you know taste in a way it doesn't even have to be tasteful but in a way that i think matters sure and sure. then i'm okay with it yeah. if if there's some bullshit excuse attached to it i'm gonna throw it out the door but even if it's like a, a whoever does it i yeah. think any any art that has a bullshit reason i'm gonna throw out the door anyway sure. that's just me Sure. So, well, that just—that was crazy. I hope you're gonna edit some. Of that. <laughs> oh no, I don't edit these at all. Oh it's no, just, it's just a whole conversation. Oh no, that's okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that was like my mind just went circled and. Well, that's part. Of, I mean, that's part of what I really love about doing this podcast is it's the natural. It's the natural progression of the conversation. Yeah, that's true. And it's also it's it's one of those things that um, because. A lot of the people that I talk to on this are people that I know fairly well, and then some of them are people that I know a little bit, and it's mm -hmm. kind of, and, and there's been a couple where the first time that I, like, like having the podcast conversation, it's like the one that's going to go up today, first time I ever met the person face-to-face -face was when we sat down. Wow, really? So, and that's been interesting, too. Cool, that's kind of neat. I'm... I'm naturally a very shy person. Really? Yeah. I um, would never think that. I'm good at faking it. Yeah, you're pretty good. I mean, it's so funny because you know, people that I knew in high school, mm -hmm. who I haven't seen since high school and then run into me now, they're like, they don't remember me from high school because I 
Because you were shy. I was very shy. Do you remember the shy guy? Like, I don't want no shy yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who was that? That was... Uh, uh, I can't remember now. It was like Monifa or something. It was something like something that. Something like that. The, the, uh, the mononym R&B I used to love that song. That's gonna drop. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. Google I, that. I don't even remember the rest of the lyrics. I just remember I don't want no shy guy. It, it came <laughs> out around the same time as that. Uh, just one of them days song. Just one of them days. That's Monica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was it was someone whose name was similar to that, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. Uh, and it was. I know it wasn't Brandy. Um. Uh, I don't know. It was like a one-hit wonder, though. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't anyone that like made a name for themselves. That's all I remember. Oh, Brandy! I used to. I was like, oh my god, Brandy made it, and she's only what thirteen. Yeah. I can make it. Too. Yeah. <laughs> I remember thinking that. Did you? Did you want to do music? Oh, when I was little. Yeah. For like, I had a few moments where I was like, I want to be. I want to be Brandy. I think I was ten, nine or ten, and I, I saw Clueless, and I got the Clueless poster, and then I got like. Brandy's album and a few others. TLC. I love mm-hmm. TLC. And I just was like, I could be a female rapper. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Never mind. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I had I had a few moments where I wanted I like I love salt and pepper. Yeah. And I'd I'd like try to pretend to rap to the songs and it was really bad, but I just <laughs> I just had a mo- like I wanted to be a tough girl like yeah. I wanted to be one of the because t- I was such a dweeb like I was so nerdy yeah oh my I was like painfully nerdy when I was mm-hmm. when I was in grammar school like I was one of those like I don't know just awkward like my clothes never really fit because I always got too tall and I, yeah. I just was growing really fast at that age so I was like oh, every- totally. oh, I'm five seven I'm not okay. that tall but at the time but at the time I was really tall like, I was already, like, five feet in, like, fourth grade. Like, I was tall mm-hmm. for my age. And, like, my shirts would always be too short and my pants too, t- you know, too short. And I just, and I'd have holes in my jeans because I just didn't care. And I just was really nerdy. Like, yeah. I was just really, like, really long hair because I was really into hippie stuff for mm-hmm. a little bit. But I also liked rap. So yeah. <laughs> I was really, really awkward kid. And I just <laughs> made, like... Like, I loved um, Family Matters, so I used to always impersonate uh, Urkel. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that was me. Like, I'd always, I'd go around saying stuff like that, and they're like, oh, she's really nerdy. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah. I had, like, one friend, like, I think. So, it was it was a good time. I um I saw a, a Key and Peele sketch recently, which, it, you know, it's obviously done in humor. I don't know. I love Key and Peele. But... It was the Family Matters thing where, oh my where God, no. the guy who plays Carl Carl comes <laughs> in and is like complaining to the producers basically about how Urkel's taking over the show uh, because which and he I, did which and I didn't realize he wasn't even in the first few episodes. No, he was only supposed to be a guest show. Yeah, and it became so and he was basically like he was the show. Yeah, he's like I went to Juilliard. He was like I was in Die Hard. And he's like, and you're making this show about this fucking nerd. And it was just like, and he's like, I'm going to walk off. And he's like, look, I don't think you understand. Urkel is this show. Yeah, he is the show. I mean, it was was funny, but it was a really dark skit. Oh, wow, I I like it already. So it made me go and like 
research like the history of family, oh, family matters. matters. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize that that was like how it actually went down. Yeah, because you know? the first few episodes he wasn't even in it, and yeah, he came later. Julian White. I wonder what he's doing now. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not sure. I would imagine that his existence is probably similar to like. Dustin Diamond, who played Screech, I'd oh, say. God. Rather, like, I hope not, because Dustin Diamond's not doing that good. No, he's like a drug he's, addict. He, yeah. <laughs> and I know that he did porn for a little while. It was just, I mean. <laughs> he's so ill. Because <laughs> he was on one of those celebrity yeah, he was boxing like, things. Yeah. And, like, and he had like a bunch of attitude in there, like hated him. Yeah. It just, I mean, I don't know. That's a whole nother conversation yeah. about that. I mean, I've had. Saved by the Bell. Oh my god, I loved that show. That was it. I loved it. I'm trying to think because because was it Mark Paul Gosselin? Yes, yes. So he went. Wasn't he on? I had a huge crush on him, Zach. He went on to be uh, on one of those cop shows. Like, he I was. Think, he I was think, like a lawyer in one show. Was he was like a, a lawyer show. Because I thought maybe. Because Rick Schroeder took over after Dave Caruso left in yeah. NYPD Blue. I thought maybe he took over. I don't know. But it was, it was, so he did that, and then what's-her-name did Showgirls. Oh, my God, like, I know. Showgirls, that movie. I don't even uh, – I watched that movie the other – like, maybe a few months ago because I just – I don't know why. I just like that movie because it's funny and interesting. It's and a real, like – it's become this cult classic. It it's has. so – Bad. It is bad. It's really bad. Yeah. Because that came out around... But she's kind of funny in it. <laughs> she's just acting over the top. Like, her, oh, no. It's such a weird, like... She's really intense in it. <laughs> it and and I feel like... The, I remember when that came out, and there was certainly a lot of cultural judgment on her for doing that movie. Yeah. Um, but... Because um, you wouldn't expect her to do it. Of no. all the people, you were like, really? I remember the first time I saw that movie, it was on VH1. Yeah. It was like streaming, and I was just like, what? On VH, it must have been heavily edited. It, that's what it, I told my husband that, and he's like, you saw it on VH1? Yeah. And he's like, I saw that like with my buddies when we were like 11. Well, that was the thing. <laughs> like, I was, I mean. Or maybe he was older. I, I think know. that movie's at least like 20 years old. but Because I, I was in my early 20s when I saw it. Because it was... I believe it was the first NC-17 movie released theatrically, but it was it got very limited, it, which is funny because if you watch it now, it's it would definitely not be NC-17. No. Um, I mean, there's a ton of nudity in it, but there's no, like, explicit sex, and it's, I mean... Yeah, it's not... Yeah, it's it's, not it's basically bad. a soap opera with yeah. tons of glitter and nudity. Um, I mean, she is beautiful. She's gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, absolutely gorgeous. But her acting is just not not always the best. I guess. But it's not. I mean. But it's, it's not okay. just her. Gina Whatever. Gershon is yeah, all over that's the place. True. Kyle MacLachlan's. Yeah, just you're right. It up. It's. I mean, it's across <laughs> right. the board. It's you're right. Just, it's not just her. It's such a weird thing. But I remember because that came out around the same time as Striptease came out, the Demi Moore yep. movie, and you know, being in my early twenties at the time. You know, I went to see it because I was like, oh, these, you know, these really famous women are going to be naked. Naked, and yeah. Watching it, I'm like, these movies are horrible. Yeah. But now it's become such a weird, like, you know, goofy, like, you know, guilty pleasure. Like, yeah, it really is kind of a guilt. Like, the other one is, um, 
Wild Things. Do you remember that? Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's yep. another guilty pleasure like yep. one with Denise Richards. And Nev Campbell. Because you see her coming out of the pool and you see her nipples and you're just like, oh my God. <laughs> I always wonder. Oh no, I'm exploiting women again. Oh no. I, I gotta mean, stop talking about that. I wonder. <laughs> the, the thing that always. I'm the bad person now. You're the bad person? I am. Why? For talking about. Because talking about like exploited women in this movie. Well, what's interesting about that, and I always wondered. So Denise Richards was uh, topless in that. Yes. But Nev Campbell is not. And I always That's because she's a good girl. That's well, Nev Campbell. She yeah. plays the the you know girl next door. They can't do that to her. But she, I mean, she they have a threesome with Matt Matt. Dillon well, she's the, the, well. That's because that's the that's the guy dream. Not only is she the girl next door, but she has a threesome. But she won't show her boobs. Right. I just wondered <laughs> if that's if that was like an odd con- like if there was any conversation about that. I mean, because Nev Campbell ended up doing nudity years later. But, yeah, uh, I always wondered if that was, or the like, when there's an actress like a star who, the character is nude, but it's a body double. Like, oh right, that's got to be a weird conversation. Of you know what, I I'm not comfortable doing this, but I'm happy to have somebody else do it. Like, I, I mean, yeah, that is kind of weird. That's a strange thing. I mean, actors do it all the time. They do with butt doubles and stuff like that. They do, yeah. yeah like it wasn't Kevin Costner's butt in. Uh, was it Dances with Wolves? There was a big deal about. Oh, it. I didn't even know that. Yeah, there was like not a... that I was worried about it. But... Right, but I, or no, not not Dances with Wolves. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh. Um, when Maid Marian sees him like bathing by the. Oh boy! Yeah, I forgot about that part. But apparently, he had to. They had like a butt, a butt audition. Double? Really? Like, like he had a bunch of guys come and like drop trial mm-hmm. and be like, "Yeah, that's the butt I want to wow. be mine." Okay. I didn't know that. That's such a weird thing, though. Like, I was like, I like this butt. Yeah. I'm going to have that one be mine. <laughs> well, I think about, like, I mean, again, going back to our culture being, like, so puritanical and, right. like, having a problem with sexuality. Well, and then, and then it goes back to also, like I was saying, it's not only that, but it's also the whole, like, oh, are we already done? No, I don't know why I have an alarm going off. Oh, okay. Oh, there's no time limit. Well, I, there's also the whole, like, okay, so we have that issue where people are all stigmatized about, like, can we talk about sex? How do we talk about sex? How do we make it inclusive? How do we make it so it's all these things? And, like, and then re- really be honest about it. But then there's the whole other side of, like, okay, well, we want to be respectful and we want to showcase um sex in a positive way in a respectful way for women and men and male gaze female gaze, like all these other kinds of conversations so it's like sometimes like we have to like check in with how we're talking about it like when i was saying with wild things like right. my lizard brain goes right to like boobs you know right. but like my thoughtful brain is like okay marissa you're kind of being a little bit objectifying <laughs> right now yeah. and then so i like have to check in but at the same time like i think it's okay to be like boobs it's just how you talk about it maybe a movie like that wouldn't be the best way to talk sure, about it. Sure. Like maybe it's more about like an actual like personal experience, but then people get really timid about that. Or maybe it's about like being a part of like a sex group or something. I don't know. Right, right. I'm just saying like, how can we make it something where we can talk about like really dirty things if we, we want to without it being like, we're feeling like we're not being inclusive or we're, we're, 
objectifying others. Sure. And that's, that's a hard thing to figure out, like where that line is sometimes. Yeah. And I think just even be con- even just like being conscientious of it is like making the effort to say, okay, I want to be respectful as much as I can, but I also want to be authentic and a sexual person. Sure. So I think that's the, that's the best you can be be at at doing that because I don't believe in the whole like okay well we're going to be respectful to the point where we suffocate ourselves sexually I don't think that's helpful at all sure because I think we should be way more I think people should be way more sexual beings I if everyone could be having sex at least once a day I think we'd be way happier sure but not everyone agrees with me I certainly think there'd be a lot less uh us versus them mentality. Well, and my mother is, you can thank my mother for all this because my parents, that sounds really weird, but my parents were, um, you know, products of the late sixties. They were teenagers during Woodstock and during the summer of love. Like that was their generation. They were that tiny pocket of generation within the baby boomer generation where they actually gave a fucking shit about change, about sexuality, about free sex, about um, women's rights to uh, birth control, about um, uh, civil rights, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like all these like super liberal ideals that blossomed from like the late 60s, early 70s. Like that, my parents were like, all into that of course they came from very um catholic backgrounds in some ways but their parents were based from immigrant families not their initial parents but their parents were so they they weren't necessarily um super conservative but they definitely came from backgrounds that had old world ways of kind of disciplining and stuff like that yet like my father's family were were very open about sexual jokes and shit like that like that was just like a part of that culture my mom's not so much like she was she's irish catholic and french Mm. and um my her mother was a like a very big feminist like she went to college like in the thirties, like she was very about women's rights and she wore pants when people weren't wearing pants. So like, I come from like a long line of very feminist women. Right. And my mom, um, when I was like a little girl, she told me what sex was when I was four. Yeah. And I was just like, what the hell? Yeah. So like my mom always implemented that sex should not have shame, like from the beginning. And that really stems from, her being from that, you know, that whole 60s um, flower children movement, because that was where she was. That's how she thought, even though she may not have been like a wild hippie by any means. She right. really wasn't. But she was invested in the music. She was invested in the culture and, you know, was very open into the ideas of love and sex. Uh, she was a special ed teacher for a long time. So it, it, in some ways I was like so grossed out by it because I was, I was so little that I didn't really right. understand. And I was just like, oh my God, you don't tell me anything right. else. But she always made it where it was, shouldn't have been, there shouldn't be shame attached to it, which really changed, I think, how I handled the conversation much differently than other people 
you know, as I grew up, I started yeah. to realize other people didn't have that experience. Yeah. Like they saw it as like, oh my God, you're talking about that. Shh, you're not supposed to say those right. things. And I right. was just like, what? Why? Yeah. <laughs> my mom talks about it. Yeah. She tells me about it. Like even in high school, she was like, just so you know, I know you're a very sexual person. So if you are going to have sex with anybody, just let me know and I'll be the first one to go and get you birth control. And I was just like, really, mom? Really? Like, can't you just not talk to me about this right. for once? <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, but it was cool. She was cool like that. As as awkward as I'm sure it was for you. it's Yeah. I mean... That's much better than the alternative. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like my mom, my mom was and still is my hero. And yeah. so many, and it's the same with my father. Um, my dad, on the other hand, there's no way in hell he was ever going to talk to me about anything like that. Yeah. Even though he was open to it, he still had that like, and even though they, they made jokes about it, like I said, the Sicilian culture, it was like jokes, lots of sex jokes and stuff, but not, it's different between father, daughter, like, no, like, sure. no, we, uh, I don't, he, he always said, you can do whatever you want. I don't want to hear about it. I don't care. I don't want to know. Yeah. Like he, he was happy being blissfully sure. blind to sure. my doing, my life. Yeah. And I think he continues to feel that way. <laughs> He still doesn't want to know everything going on. Sure, sure. And that's just part of his culture. Whereas my mom is just the op the absolute opposite. She wants to know everything to the point where I don't want to tell her anything. Yeah, yeah like, yeah, some of this is just for me. I'm like, yeah, mom, some of this is not for you to know. For sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I have a close relationship with my mother, but there's been, because I grew up, I, I'm a pastor's kid, so oh. uh, very... Wow. You know, it, especially with sexuality, it was very repressed and, you know, you don't talk about this. And I mean, I remember I was, it was either like end of junior high or high school, beginning of high school. And I had, um, I had found a picture in a magazine at the library um, of, a, of a, a topless woman. Mm -hmm. uh, and I like ripped it out of the magazine in the, you know, and, you know, cause it was, you know, the female form was forbidden yes. in my house. And at one point I was getting ready for school and I don't remember the circumstance, but my mother was looking for something in my bag and found it. And it was just like, like, it was like, I just remember oh, no. my head getting like so hot. Cause I knew I was like, this You're is the most trouble. Like, I just remember I like, I, the worst thing that I've ever done has been found, which I'm, I think about it now and I'm just like, we could have had like a very like, you know, like a normal conversation about, oh, he's an adolescent boy. He's curious about the well, female form. She didn't form. open it. She wasn't open. Just right. like when we go, we go back to what we were talking in the beginning is yeah. like sometimes she put you in a place of like, this is my son, therefore he can't do this instead of being open. Right. 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 She did the compart compart uh... compartmentalizing. Yeah, <laughs> I have yeah. a hard time with certain words. So do I. So okay. Do I. Um, <laughs> don't judge. I, don't know why. I can't imagine why I had an alarm set for twelve fifteen. Probably because uh, you were like, the podcast should be this amount of time. Oh no! I I mean, some of them are forty five minutes. Some of them are two and a half hours long. Although I think I only paid through 1230 in the parking but um oh okay maybe that's why i didn't i i 
so with the, I don't know if you have an iPhone or not. I um, do. When, when you set the alarm, it's either you, you pick the specific days. Like for mine, it doesn't say you just want to set it for today. So like if I set an alarm for 12.15 on a Tuesday, I might have done it a month ago. Mm-hmm. And I forget to like delete them. Because when I open up my... Yeah, I know, because it saves it. Yeah, and I have like 50 different times set for different days, so I have alarms going off all the time, so I'm (laughs) constantly like having alarms go off at random times. And I'm like, like, I I worked last Saturday, and I don't normally work Saturday nights, and I had an alarm go off at 8.45 at night. I'm like, why the hell would I... Have an an 8.45 at night alarm? I was like... I was like, was I taking a nap last Saturday? And I'm like, why would I get up at 8.45? And then I was like, maybe I meant to set it for 8.45 oh, in the morning. that makes and, more and sense. Did, and did PM instead. Yeah, I've definitely but, done that before. Yeah, I've done it before. It's not good. <laughs> missed some stuff I was yeah. supposed to be at. So that's the, I mean, it's, it's, I was lamenting last night, not, not talking to you, I was I was looking forward to talking to you, but I was because I worked last night till yeah. about eleven, and I was like, "I'm doing an interview tomorrow." I was like, "It's not even that early; it's 11. I was like, "But that means I need to get up and out of bed by like nine thirty." Yeah, like, and you're like, Ugh. "Well, so before I went on my trip, because um, I was I was on the road, for yeah, a month you were. And a half, um, you know, I, I had a very, I had a set schedule. It was five days a week. And then when I came back for two months, I, I wasn't working that much. And it was kind of all over the place. So I got used to sleeping in and then getting up and then having coffee and painting for three hours. And then yeah, that's pretty awesome. taking a nap. That's and, pretty awesome. You know, and now because I'm, I'm working at one of the restaurants here in town three nights a week, it's, it's not like that. Like I'm going to try and get in a painting before I go to work today, but it's like, getting back into having like an actual schedule has been like, uh, and it's one of those things that like, hopefully it's not going to be forever. Um, you know, it's, you know, but trying to do art is such a weird, like, it's a balancing act. Yeah. Sure. And I've always been terrible at like balance and like, you know, uh, moderation things. So like, you know, um, you just, yeah. I mean, I think that's where I'm at right now with, the business is just mm-hmm. trying to balance because um, same thing I was doing like a lot of painting when I'm not photographing and my non-photographing time is the winter because people aren't really having weddings. Sure. So now I'm going back into wedding season. I have to readjust to that schedule and, yeah. and once again, balance that out. So yeah, it can be tricky. Yeah. Cause you've been working on that series, the, um, the, yep. the, self-portrait series yeah it's a yep my self-portrait series is about my health crisis of dealing with having had a well I still have it but it's it's a complicated narrative but I've uh, having a brain tumor Mm -hmm. and just kind of dealing with that and what that was like for me um psychologically and and physically so that's what that series is really about yeah. and as a way of me having control over um that experience by creating images based on that time from photographs that i had taken yeah how or long, how long ago taken. was that 
the photographs were taken? Well, some of them are more recent because some are, are from checkups and things like that, a yeah. couple of them. But a lot of them are, are from like two years ago. It started in 2013, so it's some of them are really old. So yeah. some are from the very beginning. But um, I started this series, and then I kind of restarted the series because I decided to paint them bigger. And, um, yeah, it's just kind of a narrative about all the different types of surgeries I had to go through and what happened to yeah. me mentally and physically um, as kind of a way to talk about my trauma, my personal trauma, in hopes that other people that have gone through trauma can relate. Sure, sure. So that's sort of my goal. Awesome. How many, yeah. how many pieces? There's 10 yeah. total. Um, and they're oil paintings. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, there's 12, including two small ones. I, like I said, a few of them I've redone, so yeah. it's I have to look through to really get the final count, but somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. How, and what size are they? They're, they're they're 30 by 40 inches. Yeah. So, so good size. Yeah, and then the la the final piece is a piece of me, a painting of me recently, and that one's uh, 36 eight by 46 is that the one with you sitting on the bed yeah okay. that's the final piece because that's the one that kind of closed the chapter yeah for me so i'm still working on that one gotcha but. do you um do you have a show that you're like are you planning yeah on? in may i will have a show at wrong brain cool. i'll be having a show here and then i'm planning on i don't know where the next one is i have a few places in mind um because i i might need a bigger space but um i was thinking about maybe contacting engine but in biddeford yeah um and then also maybe somewhere in boston i'm not sure yeah. or portland i haven't decided i haven't figured out yet what i want to do because cool. i'm just also worried about the wedding season picking up and yeah. not having time to do it but i want to do it i will do it i just don't know when it yeah, might not and, be till the fall. And it's a lot of it's a lot of work to try and put together. Yeah. I, I, um, it might be in like October or November for one of those, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, it's the I have a show opening on Friday. Nice. Um, Congratulations. Thanks. It's uh, so I did that painting of you with the headphones. Yeah. On. That's part of the that's, oh, cool. that's going to be in the show. Nice. Um yeah, I just dropped all the paintings off yesterday and I was like, "Oh god, this is a lot of like it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and it's because I I think I work like the canvases. I generally work smaller than you too, so it was like to fill the space. I, it was forty seven paintings that I dropped off. Wow! And I was like, oh God, luckily yeah. I don't have to hang it. They're hanging it. Wow! Me. Are you framed? So, did you frame them all? No, I didn't That's frame good. any of them. I, that probably saved a lot because framing is a pain in the butt and it's expensive. expensive yeah. yeah, it's uh, luckily. Um, so, do you paint the edges of your paintings, or what do you or do you? Um, you mean like the wraparound edges? I generally don't because I... I don't either. I'm also like, I don't sign... I generally don't sign my paintings on the front. I usually paint some, like sign them along the side. I sign them and date them there. There's occasionally when I do like a stark image in the center and there's nothing in the background, sometimes I'll sign along the edge. Um, it, it's just one of those things. It just feels it feels distracting to me. Yeah, um, same. I don't I don't ever sign on the front. Yeah, and you know I've had people and generally people who are not artists themselves be like, you have to have you have to get your name out there, and I'm like, well, if someone's interested enough 
in my work that they want to see more, they'll, 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 you know, research into it. Do you, do you sign with your whole name or do you do like initials? I have, so I have, um, I I generally don't sign with my whole name. I'll either use the SDC, my initials. When I do watercolor, I made up this like signature. It's like a long, um, vertical box that is a very skinny S that I put. And then, um, a D on one side and then a C on the other. Um, almost reminds me of like, like I was trying to imitate like Japanese oh, brush strokes. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. I also, uh, so I have this, uh, this uh, I Ching hexagram on my arm, uh, which I sign most of my stuff with now, oh, which cool. is it's fire over water, oh. um, which, you know, I've done research as an adult after I got the tattoo before I knew anything about it. It was, uh, I got it uh, when I was a kid. I used to read the G.I. Joe comic book. Oh, yes. A couple of the characters <laughs> had that. And as a kid, I remember, oh, if I ever got a tattoo. That's what you're going to get. get. That. It wasn't my first tattoo. It was probably my 10th tattoo. Oh, but, that's uh, so funny, though. And then, and it's funny how after, because I had it for at least a decade before I really knew anything about it. Um and it's it's usually a very specific person who recognizes it. It's usually a guy between a thirty-five guy. and forty-five, and they're like, "Dude, Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow." Other than that, <laughs> people are like, "What are the bricks on your arm?" Or some people are like, "Oh, I Ching." You know, tell me about you know, but you know, and it's it's fantastic that it's worked out to be something that I've embraced artistically. But I I got it because I was a huge fan of GI Joe. That's when I was so a funny. Kid. So. Um, to to wrap it up, you got two more shows to tell me about your two of your three favorite shows. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We started with Radiohead, and then oh boy, we thought we heard a ghost, and it wasn't. Oh my it was god! One of your, yeah, your, it was one of the, the people resident here. artists. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm, shows. Let's see. Um, you know. Anya DeFranco was really good. Yeah. I saw her um, in Portland, and she did put on a pretty good show. We were just here at State Theater? Yeah. Nice. Um, but I don't know if I'd put her in the group. That's tricky. Um, Sonic Youth. Sonic Youth was really, really good. Which, I saw uh, them. Which time frame? I saw them when they did Sonic Nurse. The, so that was in early 2000s, yeah. too. Uh, I saw them at State... At, I think it was... Was it State Theater? It was one of those, like, it was the tiny place that used to be there that that got shut down. Yeah, that's not the State Theater. I'm trying I don't to remember the name of it. Um, it was, like, a really small venue. Are you a big Sonic Youth fan? I used to be. Yeah. I still am. What's your What's your favorite Sonic Youth album? Um, Daydream Nation is really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I like... Uh, uh, the one that has cool thing on it, I can't remember the name. Goo, Goo, right? Yes, that Dirty, really Dirty's good. my favorite. The one after Dirty's, Goo. that's like the the like the grunge one. And and <laughs> see, that's how I got into Sonic Youth because it was like you know I bought Nevermind, Nirvana, yep. Nevermind, and then and you then, heard them, and, and then because Nirvana opened for Sonic Youth at the beginning of the Dirty tour, and knowing nothing about Sonic Youth at the point, you know, because I was. 13 or 14, I just assumed they were 
a band from the same area. Yeah. Didn't know that they were from New York. Didn't know that they had been around for Ever. more than a decade. Yeah. And it sonically, it's in a similar place, but it's and it is a little bit different than a lot of Sonic Youth other stuff. I mean, Butch Vig produced that one and. Um, it is different, and uh, Kathleen Hanna's on it. Kathleen too. Hanna's on it. Ian Mackay from Fugazi's on it. It was. Um, yep. There's a song on it uh, about Joe Cole, who's Henry Rollins' best friend, who yep. was murdered, and it was. It has a weird place. I don't necessarily think it's the best Sonic Youth album, but it's the but one it's you my connect favorite. with. Exactly. Yeah, I got it. Exactly, and it was my entry point, and I've kind of got. I mean, Sonic, Sonic. Which one do you think is their best? <sighs> such a tough I mean because Daydream Nation is so up good. there but I'm actually a huge champion of Murray Street really it's, yeah it's uh that's, that's sort of, later that's stuff. later it's and it's very I need yeah. to listen to that one more and um I haven't listened to that one enough what's the one that uh god I'm trying they're not together anymore no because because they got divorced cause, yeah because Thurston Moore's what happened he, did they infidelity did he, I knew it yeah what it, the hell? On was, Kim Gordon of all people? Yeah. Like she's a fucking genius. Yeah, it's one of those things it's it's I've heard people who Well, whatever. Who have had who who have, you know, internal connections on both sides and you know, it's it's people being people. I mean right. I look at it and I was like, okay, well it's two people who managed to stay together for twenty nine years. Yeah, that's, great. that's true. You know, I mean That is pretty crazy. Yeah, so and I think because Sonic Youth is one of those bands that like they're maintained their artistic integrity through their oh, entire career. It's pretty crazy. And we're sort of the benchmark for how to conduct yourselves professionally. I think the fact that at the end of the day, it was four, sometimes five people who at the end of the day, they were people and had, you know, it was human fault that brought down the band. Yeah. I think people feel let down, but they had a fucking great run. Yeah, they, they did. did not make a terrible album in their entire career. They made a ton of amazing albums. They did. So, my um, my friend Adam, uh, he's in a band. He he's in many bands, but he has a band called Nomad Stones, and he has a song called uh, "Dirty Boots" and a friend named Goo. Oh, that's and funny. And it's the whole song is all just about uh, Sonic Youth. Sonic Youth, yeah. and you know the the chorus is "Whatever happened to my Sonic Youth?" It's, it's a great song. Uh, all right, so you got one more show. I know, I'm trying to... I don't know. Um, there's not, like, a particular one. I'm trying to think of all... Like, I don't go to shows as much as I used to. I'm I'm kind of, like, lame about it. It's I'm, bad. I used to go to shows all the time. It's Yeah. You know, I've been to three shows this year, and they've all been local shows, but I'm, I'm kind of oddly <sighs> proud of that in a way. Can I I say who I wish I could have seen instead? Prince. I think he would have been incredible. I I, I did get to see Prince. Was it it incredible? That was, I mean, it's tough for me to pick top three shows just because I've been to so many shows. You've been to probably way more than me. And, um, you know, different parts of my life and they meant different things to me. Right, Um, exactly. I mean, like... So I went to Woodstock 94. Oh, my god! Had gosh. a great time. Yeah. I mean, seeing Nine Inch Nails covered in mud playing, I mean, it was a defining moment for me. But then last year, I heard a recording of that set, and they sound like shit. 
Uh, and Trent Reznor even admits, he's like, we were all high on coke. We didn't care. We did that gig to pay for the entire rest of right. the tour. But I was like, so, it, you know, going to, like, you don't get the full experience just hearing it. It's being at the show. Yeah. Um, Prince, it was 90, 96, I believe. It was either late 96 or early 97. There was a, it was at the Boston Garden when it was still the Boston Garden before they tore it down. You know, it still had all the Celtics jerseys yep. up. And we were listening to the radio and they said, okay, there's going to be a show. It's going on sale in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. We can't say who the artist is, but it's going to sell out really quickly. It's someone who hasn't played in Boston. And at that point it was like seven or eight years. And like it's the show is tonight. And this was before, I mean, the internet existed, but nobody really used it at that right. point. So it was like, get near a, get near a Ticketmaster. Yeah. And I was working at uh, Strawberries. I don't yep. know if you remember yeah, Strawberries. Yeah, I remember Strawberries, and of course. And um, me and the, the girl who were working, we were like, who do you think it is? Who do you think it is? And she, she's like, I bet you it's Prince. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah. She's like, I'm just going to go. And uh, she got tickets. And I mean, you know, they announced it. They're like, okay, Prince tickets, you know, uh, are going on sale now. And it's sold out in like less than 10 minutes um it was great it was like it was like a three-hour show wow um it was i mean we were certainly in the minority um being well actually she's panamanian so i was gonna say being caucasian but um you know definitely a lot of a lot of uh black people there like the most black people i had ever been around in a crowd Wow. You know, as an adult, which was great. I was yeah. just because in my mind, I never thought of Prince. I Like I was put Prince more in the rock category than R&B, which again, the whole going back to the compartmentalizing. Yes. It's just music. Yeah. But I was like, and this was an early thing. And I was like, oh, black people like rock and roll too. And then I was just like, and it's, <laughs> it's Scott. It's, well, Scott. I mean, I love your honesty, though. Well, I'm going back 20 years, too. and this right. was, it, But it was one of those things that I was like, oh, people just like music. Yeah. And it was one of those things. And so I would say that was like a huge, like, it was an amazing show. It was like it an eye-opener like, on oh, that, Oh, for too. sure. For sure. I love, I, I love Prince because I just think he's a great performer. He's a great musician. And he brings so much authenticity to everything he does. I mean, he he embraces sexuality, too, to talk about that is another way to kind of bring that back into full circle. But he just, to me, he embodies everything that I admire in an artist. Um, So I just, I really look, I used to look, I still look up to, I mean, he's, gone but i still look up to him as an artist and what he did yeah. in his career he was just he created so much work oh, yeah. i mean stuff that we haven't even heard that's just he has tons of stuff mm-hmm. um i know that they are trying to get some of his recordings that he's never released but he's just he really embodies what it means to be an artist for me mm-hmm. i i don't know i know he's not and once again it's he, he's an artist he might not be a painter or a um 2d artist but he does music and it doesn't matter i think it's still valid oh absolutely absolutely um 
Yeah, it was a. Uh, it was like I have me and my best friend. We got the um, you know the the, the androgynous symbol. Um, oh, we, you we did. We both got it tattooed on our arm. Bef- and I was proud of the fact that we got it before he passed away. We had been talking about doing it for a while, but so where is it? It's on. Um, I have so many tattoos. It's on the back of one of my arms. Because <laughs> you know, because I always see it in a mirror, so. And you're like, oh, there's my Prince tattoo. Uh, oh, can nice. You, can you see it? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I um, love the the his whole androgynous artist symbol. Yeah. Because he was just a symbol. He didn't have a name. Yeah. Um, but then people just called him the, the artist, artist formerly, formerly known artist as Prince, Prince, which was like not what he was going for. Yeah. He's um, like, I just want to be a visual symbol. Did you know? Well, so it was interesting because there's kind of like, so everyone just referred to that as either you know, the artist formerly known as Prince symbol or, you know, symbol or whatnot. But it actually has a pronunciation. It's actually Victor. Really? And it's and if you look at it, it's actually all the letters in the word Victor put together. I didn't and, know that. And, he, and it's interesting because, so he put out, the last album he released as Prince for a while was, that was the name of the album, was that yeah. symbol. And the last song is, and it's been a while since I've listened to it, but it's like the Triumph of Victor or something like that. But it's basically talks about how this huge icon is going to fall and then this this Victor, and it's a double use of the word because it's a proper right. name, but also... But it's also victory, right? right? Um, and then... Uh, and then his next album, his next proper album, the first one that he did as the symbol, um, he says, I've returned a victor. Uh, so it's kind of like a weird, like, little, like, <laughs> secret message thing that he did, you know, kind of like tongue-in-cheek. Like, I feel like he you, did a lot of that. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And he was also one of those people that, you know, when they put out the, the vinyl records, he would put the little the little message on the inside of the groove. He, he had a lot of stuff written in there. That's cool. And, yeah, I unfortunately, like I'm from the CD era, so most of my Prince albums are on CD, yeah, not on same. vinyl. So, you know, uh, I, I don't go out and buy the new vinyl pressings, but when I can find them in, in record shops, I'll pick up the older albums. But now that he's passed away, they, they fetch a lot more money. Yeah, so. I bet. Well. What's up? Hi. Hi. Uh, this has been uh, This has been a... It has. So your show at Wrong Brain is in May? May. May. So it'll be the first Friday. Yep, the first Friday in May. Yeah, so those not familiar with Wrong Brain, it is at One Washington Center in Dover, New Hampshire. Uh, And what's the name of your photography business? It's Marissa Lynn Photography. Marissa with one S. Mm -hmm. Lynn with two N's. Yep, and an E. Photography with a P? Yeah. I'm just covering all the bases. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks for talking with me, Marissa. Thank you.